Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Short disclaimer. This podcast is in no way affiliated with the Stars production or Diana Gabaldon. All views expressed are solely our own. Welcome to the Outlander Podcast, where the men are kilted, the women are winsome, and the whiskey is neat. Welcome to episode 190 of the Outlander Podcast. I'm Ginger. And I'm Summer, and we are in love with all things Outlander. On the read-along, we are discussing chapter 38, entitled, I Meet a Lawyer. So, Jamie's GSW is healing up. His fever is gone. Them bacterial killers, those those penicillin little things, those anti-germs, work really well. Jenny had been staying away for the last few days. Uh, Of course, it's her house. She knows what's going on, but she's stayed out of Claire's hair. And out of Jamie's hair. Rightfully so. Yeah. Oh my gosh. No kidding. It's like the first time since they got back to Lollybrock that she was out of their business. Claire takes a little break and she goes upstairs to tend her own toilet. And she finds she had been left the good soap. Now that tells her how Jenny feels about her presence. I'd never before. And again, I, I know I've read this multiple times, but I never took notes before about this. So what I wrote was I'd never before thought of a bar of soap as an insult. (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh. Like, could you, I mean, I've heard of like, you know, where your place, like if you have a lot of, um, you know, where your place at the table, right. The honored guest may be at, at the, at the foot of the table, at the head of the, one of the heads of the table, you know, given the best China, given the first service or served first. You know, we've heard of a lot of things, but I've never <laughs> considered the soap that you're given. <laughs> well, I, I imagine if I had to make all of the soap in my house, I would keep the cheap soap for me and my kid. And then if we had guests, give them the nice soap so that they knew that they were well thought of. And that is true. But the fact that she gave her the well thought of soap was kind of a twist. Well, Yeah. So, I mean, so by not giving her the family soap, she was telling her she wasn't family. <laughs> right. But had it been anyone else, I mean, had she ever, had she not had, God, I can't even put a sentence together. <laughs> had she not previously spent time in that household she, she wouldn't with have known. Jenny as quote unquote family, she would yeah. never have known that this was such a slight, but having lived yeah. there before and having known the living conditions they lived in, you know, it was, became quite apparent to her, the standing she had in the household. Yeah. So Lisa T writes, while Claire is a guest, she is still an outlander at Lallybrach, or at least to Jenny. This also reminds me of Claire having to prove herself to Mother Hildegard at L'Hôpital des Anges in Dragonfly and Amber. Claire accepts the challenge. 
A mob of kids arrive. And when she walks into the room, Claire, when she walks into the room where Jamie was, they're surrounding him. She hears Jamie proclaim, there she is. It's young Jamie and his brood. He hands over his baby, Benjamin, to Claire. The kids ask questions about Claire, about her age, about how she's a witch and about how she has no warts. Two of the wee ones get into a row and Jamie acts as referee. Ah, children, how brutal and honest they are. About how one was like snot-nosed and the other has something else. And she's like, well, it's true. It's not a lie. It's true. And he's like, yeah, well, it's not that nice. <laughs> Poor kids. They really have it hard because they're told not to lie. Now, granted, they're also told to be nice. But when someone says something that's the truth, but it's not very nice, they, then kids are very literal, right? So even if they say saying something out of anger or out of frustration, and they say the truth, and then they get in trouble for it. It's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm not lying. So it's kids have so much to learn, like gradations of, yes, you want to tell the truth, but you also don't want to hurt, the, hurt someone's feelings. And that's, I think, where kids, that besides that and sneaking cookies, that's where kids learn to begin to lie. <laughs> I just love the their... Um standards of what makes a witch oh the nose and the warts right yeah. i mean the uh, wait, you don't have any it? warts on your face so the kids want jamie to tell them a story and he begins to tell them the story of saint bride and the geese and the baby that claire is holding wee benjamin starts to root and claire's like i'm out of here i am not this i cannot help you with this we are gonna go find his mother eileen p writes don't you love nunky jamie it's so nice to see Jamie surrounded by adoring children. He is so good with them. Another thing to love about Jamie Fraser. Too bad Brianna missed out. Lisa T. writes, Claire finds that she is a bit of a legend to the young residents of Lallybrach. So funny. But again, Claire is assured of her youthful looks and of her reputation as a witch. To settle an argument between the children, Jamie agrees to tell a story. Just as in chapter 37, we were reminded of Romeo and Juliet. Jamie tells a story of geese that mate for life. Both stories remind us of the pain and grief that Jamie and Claire suffered over the past 20 years, but with one difference, they survived. Claire goes to find wee Benjamin's mother, and she goes into the kitchen where she finds her. And Hang she's on, in just one second. Wouldn't you say that they did do like the geese and grieve themselves to death? Yeah, I mean, it to not to a literal death where they yeah. perished, but to a death where they weren't really living. Oh yeah. So I mean, I think it's I think even though it wasn't Romeo and Juliet esque, I think that it was they were definitely geese esque <laughs> in their in their uh, the way that they survived each other, quote unquote. Well, then you could take it even further. I don't know about Jamie, but for Claire, you could almost say going through the stones was like a rebirth. The second time, at least. The first time was it was pure horror, but the second time was like a rebirth. Well, that would be your third time. Ah, coming out, the, coming out this side was a rebirth. So she's introduced to the women in the kitchen, and no one seems surprised that Jamie's first wife had returned from the dead. Or France, whichever. <laughs> Sorry, that made me laugh. That makes me laugh every time. You know, from the dead or France, <laughs> whatever it is. But they didn't ask They're her very any questions. Similar. 
Exactly. They're that. They're yeah. They're 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 far away and unknown, and we're and we're never going to go there. And if we do, we're actually death is less is less of a wonder than France because we're all going to go. We're all going to go there. But they didn't ask for any questions, and they spoke in Gaelic around her. And she notes that Jenny is still absent. So Jenny and Claire were basically kind of not on purpose, but very conveniently ish avoiding each other. It seemed. But there is a reckoning to be made, Diana writes. So Claire wanders out to the dairy shed to get a pitcher of cream for the ladies, the women in the kitchen. And she sees Fergus leaning against the fence. Now, this is a fence that is part of the sheep's pen. And the sheep out there, they're her, I think they're Merino. Uh, Jenny's very prized uh, babied Merino uh, sheep for their wool. And they're loud and annoying and very spoiled. And they expect to be fed. Fergus throws, he's very annoyed at them, and he throws a whole cabbage head at their leader, the dude, whose testicles Diana insists on um, describing quite a few times how they're large and dangly, and they, like, almost hit the ground. <laughs> I've seen goats like that. It was a, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I, you know what? I've seen goats like that for sure. I was trying to think if I've ever seen sheep like that, and usually... I don't see a lot of sheared sheep. So there's usually a lot of wool and fur covering. So I don't know that I've ever consciously noticed a sheep's balls. <laughs> uh, that's good to know. I've seen, I've seen goats, like I said, but you know, I don't know. I, I have seen was it animals you? with large It was you. Before. Yes, you have. Was Wasn't me? it your, you in our story? I don't know if it was the Mare Wink episode or what, but I think it was Lene was with us. We're talking about, you were talking about how the first time you saw like an, a let, a let, not, not a let down, like a disappointment, but a let down horse thing. And uh, medieval times. You d- and you didn't even know what it was. You were like, no, I knew what, what it was. That? Oh, you no, did? I, I thought you said you it didn't have a mind was. of its own. I couldn't oh. believe it. It looked like it was... <laughs> Like a prehensile, oh, like Lord. it had its own little brain. I mean, like I dolphins. guess they do. <laughs> oh, like they can go. Oh, like, oh, like it moves by itself. Yeah. It looked like oh it was gosh. waving or like oh and that it was trying dolphins to. Dolphins are scary too. Specific. Apparently dolphins like, oh my gosh, I, I've read not, not just, well, humans too, but dolphins apparently have raped humans, females, I think mostly, uh, maybe males. I don't know about that, but also male dolphins have are really terrible to like female dolphins. I was reading the scientist's description of their observations and down, I think it was in, um, I think it was off of the coast of Florida. I could be wrong. Anyway, it was this, it was this, it was a, a book about animal behavior and, um, and, and intelligence about all these different animals and how each animal, you know, kind of, uh, they were superstars in their own way of, in different areas. Oh my gosh. And it was like, I almost, it was an audiobook. I was like, I almost couldn't listen. I was like, really? This is awful. They're, anyway, so I'm digressing, but, but back well, to the, the I sheep mean, testicles. I agree, but I think we, that on that note, we need to stop having the whole dolphin experiences where everyone's like, I want to ride oh. a dolphin. You know what? Now they want to ride you back. So maybe we should stop. They don't want to ride you back. They want to ride your front. <laughs> ride you back. <laughs> there you go. Is what I said. Not they ride, ride your you, ride you. They want to ride you, period. They want to have their own ride. Oh, gosh. So these loud, uh, loud, noisy, that's redundant. These loud, spoiled animals uh, end up running off. He throws the cabbage and, like, hits the leader. I forget the dude's name. He had a cute little name. Um, 
the, the but the testicle dude. Um, Fergus hits. Okay, hi baby. My cat just came onto my lap. Fun times. Um, I think he should just be named Testicle Dude. Testicle. Is that what I said? His name was Huey, but you said oh, Testicle Huey. Dude. <laughs> I think we need to tell Diana. Diana, we have a new name for your uh, sheep in Chapter Thirty Eight of Voyager. <laughs> Just name him Testicle Dude, since you were pretty much doing that anyway. Fergus throws a head of cabbage at him, and he's like, what? And he runs away, annoyed. And his harem, basically, even though, or his all of his lady friends, follow him away. Fergus hasn't told Jamie that he's back yet. And he seems distracted. It turns out that Jamie was right when they were when they had escaped uh, the, uh, the coast in Edinburgh after the, the little... the the bad rendezvous that didn't, that was not a very good rendezvous. Turns out he was right. There were customs men waiting for them back at the tavern in disguise. And Fergus is depressed that Jamie's business won't turn around very quickly. He had invested, we find out, a, into a small part of the printing business. And he had hoped in time to make some money off of that and to become a full partner. Because, Summer, you want to share with the, with the listener why he not why he's bummed but why he wanted to get on in with the with the printing biz um he's got a lady friend that he's trying to impress um her parents so does this make him testicle dude (laughs) (laughs) he's testy for sure i'm sorry cesar we will not do this to you again oh yes he is testy here he's He's te- well, hmm. well, he is tested here. Yes. And um, it's very sweet. I mean, it's real for him, but um, it, it's sweet. Uh, Fergus is, is, is like a is a character of our heart, I think. Uh, so his his worry is that whereas printing is a respectable business, smuggling anything else that comes with it is not. He wants to woo and to wed. Claire thinks, quote, I couldn't say I blame the young lady's mother, all things considered. And this is, of course, in response to. Fergus saying, me being a smuggler, you know, not only is it not respectable and it's not, well, it probably would be money, but it's not respectable. I would never have a chance with this lady's mother, basically. So Claire well, thinks. He doesn't want a chance with her mother. He just. Nah, wants her but to he approve. needs to woo. He, wa- he needs to actually convince the mother, too. Or the person, yes. which we don't know who it is. We don't officially, well, we know who it is, but I we're mean, not going to announce that yet. Is. Okay. I, I mean, we know who it is. Claire thinks, quote, I couldn't say I blamed the young lady's mother, all things considered, while Fergus was possessed of darkened looks and a dashing manner that might well win a young girl's heart. He lacked a few of the things that might appeal somewhat to more conservative Scottish parents, such as property, like a hand, income, a left hand, <laughs> and a last name, unquote. <laughs> Diana is just so dry as she slips it in there. <laughs> that's why it's so it makes it well, more even more funny she claire doesn't seem to have a very high opinion of the disabled and what they can do because like ian she's like he does very oh. well with one leg and then like fergus she's like don't tell me you had a hand in the print a hand <laughs> don't tell me you had a hand <laughs> in the print business like they're clear but surely he, you he, weren't helping jamie at all well, and he's like he, no no i was i just I funded just, it a little bit yeah and i'm like could do more he's handy capable not handicapped and don't forget he remained french he would like claire always be an outlander lisa t writes remember that passage for future chapters and books for that matter 
So all of the stuff that goes against or speaks against Fergus as a mate for a young, conservative, respectable Scottish lady's or woman's daughter. I find that term laughable. Lady? Conservative. Uh, Hey, it was Diana's term, not mine. I know. Well, that's just because from Claire's brain, she doesn't know who it is, but... Knowing who it is, I'm like, conservative. Really? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Jamie does not know of Fergus's intentions, let alone the girl he has set his heart on. Girl he has his heart set on. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry, other native English speakers. I apologize for that one. He could have, like, set his heart on her physically. Exactly, because he'd be dead. So Jenny is in the room with Jamie when Claire goes back. Jenny is trying to get Jamie to leave before a man named Hobart Mackenzie arrives. Jamie says he is not afraid of him. Hobart, we find out, is Larry's brother. She has sent for him and told him about all the stuff. Now they end up agreeing, fine, 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 Jamie will stay, but he will not, quote, make a mess on her good turkey carpet. And by make a mess, what made me laugh was turkey carpet. But... <laughs> What by make a mess she means like don't kill anybody please don't get blood on my stuff well Claire. I think that there's Diana is very good at naming her characters and if you've given a dude a name like a Hobart you probably have nothing to fear of him <laughs> uh, well yeah that's funny Jamie's hungry Claire goes to get Jamie's breakfast but sees Jenny going out to the barn and she follows her since it might be her best chance to actually get her to speak alone. So speak alone with her. Jenny had been going out there, she tells Claire, she, to tell young Ian to unsettle Donus, who is the grand horse, not the grand horse of Donus, not the Donus. That would be a mighty old horse, although horses can live like 30 years old. Yeah, but they wouldn't have saddled him. Oh, no, that's true. If Unless it was a 30-year-old horse, no. they wouldn't have been like, saddle the oldest horse we have and yeah. ride him off and hopefully exactly. oh, get hopefully away you'll, from this You'll dude. escape. You'll escape. Okay. Who may so, or may not have a gun. They go out to the barn. Is that what a barn? The barn? Stable. They go out to the stable, and in order to tell young Ian to unsaddle Donis, and as they get there, he's just waking up from a nap. He tells his mom that he came out, but didn't think it worth the trouble to saddle him, only to have to unsaddle him. So young Ian knows his uncle (laughs) and knows the situation. Hmm. That was funny. Martina P. writes, I adore how young Ian once again has disobeyed orders by not even bothering to saddle Donna's because he was entirely certain that Jamie would not run from Hobart McKenzie. That's like I said. Nobody runs from a dude named Hobart. <laughs> That's a nephew you know knows his uncle, and I simply adore this relationship. Not for long, Martina. She sends him back, young Ian, to the house to get breakfast for Jamie and for himself, a second breakfast for himself. And Claire and Jenny go to the root cellar. I wonder if there's any symbolism of going into the earth. Maybe Jenny uh, in, cha- in chapter one. <laughs> in season one, I mean, not so much season two, at least the, the read along. But in season one, Jenny is, nah, no, season two, too, I think. Or book two. Jenny is referred to, if not uh, explicitly, then implicitly as kind of the earth mother. 
right? The one who is, she's there, she's holding space. She is Lally Rock, right? She, it is her, that is her manner, regardless of the fact that her son's the, the heir now or, or the owner or that her brother was Laird before. She, it is because she was older and she raised, helped, helped raise Jamie and is raising her kids. That is her home and she is basically queen of that manor. And so she is boss lady, basically. So to literally be kind of like the earth mother, the one who, you know, and especially in the scene where she's giving birth and all of that, she's very, just, she's very, she's so earthy. And here they are literally going down into the earth. So I thought that was very, I, I thought it was, it's almost hard for it not to be symbolic in some way. So Jenny tells Claire that it was her suggestion, Claire's, to plant potatoes that allowed them to survive years even after Culloden. Jenny says that Jamie wouldn't have married Larry, she admits this fully, if it hadn't been for her. She says she made him do it because she knew how lonely he was. And she tells Claire that Jamie is not the sort of man who should sleep alone. Lisa T writes, we begin to understand Jenny's motives. She watched her brother suffer and grieve and she blames Claire. Martina P writes, while Claire's alienation from Jenny is quite difficult for me to read and I spend a great deal of time being angry at Jenny, she has my total forgiveness after we get her explanation and consequently their reconnection. But Claire wants to know why Jenny sent for Leary. After they came back from Edinburgh, Jenny says that when Ian had told her she was back, she was gobsmacked. At first she was excited and then afraid. She saw Claire at Jamie's wedding with Larry, literally in person, the figure of Claire. Claire was there at his left hand between him and Larry, and she knew that she would take him back. Jenny says that she was not born with the sight, but she did see Claire there. And it scared her so much, she actually had to leave the, cer- the, the room, leave the ceremony. Jenny had hoped that it had been long enough without Claire, these 20 or probably at that point, what, maybe 17, 15, 16, 17 years, that he could be happy with someone else. And she knows that Jamie is a faithful person, period. So once he'd sworn himself to Larry, he wouldn't leave her. He would never leave her wholly. Like, even if they didn't get along and he left, he would never leave her uncared, her and her family uncared for. But then Claire came back. Lisa T writes, Jenny is starting to prepare breakfast. Claire follows her to the root cellar, an interesting place for a confrontation, but it is the turf that they have in common. They are equal there. Eileen P writes, Jenny's vision of Claire during the wedding ceremony of Jamie and Larry is interesting. Jamie is connected to Claire through dreams. I wonder if the sight runs in their family. While I would have interpreted Jenny's vision of Claire as meaning Jamie will always be in love with Claire, Jenny sees it as an omen that Claire will return and take Jamie away from her. That reasoning makes Jenny rather selfish for trying to keep Larry and Jamie together. Claire once noted that Jenny loved Jamie as much, if not more, than she did. I would think it would be better to express that love by allowing Jamie to be with the woman he loves. However, love can be selfish sometimes. In the end, Jenny is practical as ever. She realizes Claire and Jamie are bound together and there is no preventing them 
from being together. It doesn't take away the selfish nature of her actions. Oh no, of course not. Of course not. Like I'm still holding the grudge. It was selfish the second time. It was not selfish when she tried to have him married off to Leary. That was trying to help her brother, but it was selfish um, once Claire came back. I think I think everyone can agree that we don't like him with Leary, but she was trying, and she just, no one knows in the books. No one knows about the witch shiz. No, so, no one knows about that. But my point is, is it's selfish of her, yeah. knowing knowing how unhappy Jamie has been, yeah, for the entirety of the time, not just the time that he was back after the prison, after Hellwater, and single, and how miserable he was. But then he he got married because she kind of guilted him into it, and then continued to be miserable. So miserable that he had to leave and go live in Edinburgh to find any semblance of a life that wasn't draining and horrid for him. So for Claire to show back up and Jenny to be like, I I know that you would be happier with that situation. I would be happier if you continued to be a little less happy and here where I can utilize you got it and that selfishness didn't come into play until claire came back correct Mm -hmm. okay yeah she didn't have any here's the thing he was living in edinburgh i know it's not that far from inverness i know it's not that far from inverness however he wasn't there at lollybrock he wasn't there you know in in her life every day her him claire coming back doesn't necessarily immediately mean that he will be any further away than he already is. I don't think, I don't think that even having read the next chapter, I think the intention was not to have it significantly change the current relationship between him and his Mm -hmm. sister. But she just kind of got all like gloom and doom. What this means is you're going to take him away from me. So I did the only thing I could, which was to try to appease to his honor system. Yeah, which and to thinking if if she pissed Claire off enough, Claire would go back if she saw that he was potentially happy. Yeah. Well, yeah, but was she going to go back? I don't know what she was going to do. I don't know if she knew what she was going to do. That's true, because she did take off like she was going to go back. But even after I don't know if it was before or after, I think it was after. But even after young Ian came to get her to bring her back, she admitted to herself that she had kind of. Uh, not stormed off, although she had stormed off. She had left and she she admitted to herself that she was hoping that Jamie would come after her. And I thought it was funny. I, didn't, I don't think I remarked about it last week or last episode, but um, when they had the major fight in the bedroom and he's like, stay here, I'll be back, I'll explain everything. or Because that happened twice. If someone is truly, and this is, I think this is an early hint of why she wasn't intending to leave. She may have left to save face, but she, why she really didn't want to leave Jamie. She was just really unhappy with the situation and wanted to be shown that he cared, you know, go out of his way to show that he cared. Mm-hmm. Um, she says, one of the, and this struck me, this never struck me before. She says, I'm leaving. Something, 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 I'm leaving. And opens the door and then walks out. And then, you know, stuff happens. Even if she didn't leave right that moment, she says, she makes, she makes a scene 
she's part of the scene. She makes a point to say, I'm leaving or out of my way. I'm leaving. Opens the door and walks out. If someone is that's that's drama. That's drama. Understandable, but drama. If you're trying to get away and you don't want someone to run after you or, you know, get in your way or whatever, you don't you don't advertise that you're leaving. You know what, you know what I'm saying? You no, you I bide do. your you bide it's your like, time and then you get the heck out of dodge. You don't announce it. If you announce it, you're asking for someone to push back. No, it's like every time I go to a party and I learned this from my summers spent in um in Cherokee working at an outdoor drama in North Carolina. Uh, we called it the Cherokee goodbye because if you went to a party and you reached your limit and you were ready to go, if you said goodbye to anyone, it would take another 30 to 40 minutes before you would actually be able to leave. So you adopted what was called the Cherokee goodbye, which is when you were ready to go, you snuck out and you left. So nobody saw you going. So you made sure that you were gone and you didn't have to answer any questions. You didn't have to say goodbye 30 times. You didn't have to do any of those things. So if she really wanted to be gone and she leave. She would have left. She, she waited until Cherokee Jimmy. It, she, exactly. She would have waited. In, or actually, Cherokee, came, Cherokee goodbye came after the Irish exit, I think. I think <laughs> so it's, it's an same. Irish exit. I think so. Yeah, I heard about it. Yeah. in a I th- Who did I hear about that from? I don't think it was from Chelsea Handler. It was someone I heard about it. It was years ago. But I was like, what? Oh, no. You know, I heard about it was uh, Mindy. I think I heard about it in Mindy's book. Mindy, you know what I mean? Mindy, the actress? Mindy. No, sorry. Mindy is her show. Well, her name is Mindy. That's what I thought. Okay, so Mindy, the Indian actress, right? Indian American actress. It's like, yeah. It starts with a K, doesn't it? Yes. I I can't remember it, but yes. So she was at a party and basically an Irish exit is when you just like Kaling. Yeah. Kaling or Kaling. Kaling. So an Irish exit is basically when you just duck out because, and part of it is because you don't want to, you either don't want to make a scene or you don't want to upset the hostess because then you got to, if you, if you want to leave and you tell someone you're leaving, then you have to explain why you're leaving. And like you said, it can take longer. And then not just that, even though you think you're being nice, you also, not only can it take a long time, but when you say you're leaving, Again, I understand wanting to be nice. I do, because that's me. I feel like I had to say something about, oh, I got to go. Okay, see you later, whatever. But if someone, if it's a big party and you really don't need to, you know, do that and it's understood, it's not a small, if you have a small gathering of six people, you're going to have to say something. <laughs> but if it's like 20 people, 30 more or any, or a big event, you can easily duck out because the second you start trying to like go around and say your goodbyes, it's a half an hour, like you're saying, a half an hour later. And what did you get out of that? Number one, you got out of there later and you got the feeling of everyone telling you goodbye. You, that means you did not want to leave a half an hour ago. I mean, you may have said, okay, I'm ready to start getting ready to go. That's different. So yes, Cherokee goodbye, Irish exit. Claire was not serious. She was serious about wanting a reaction. She was not serious about wanting to leave Jamie for good. I stand by that. I think you're right. So anyway, so ends the discussion about last, last, <laughs> last chapter or to actually two or three chapters ago. Maybe two. Back to 38. Jenny says that she'd never been further than 10 miles from Lallybrach her entire life, but that Claire has traveled extensively. She says to her, quote, you'll go again. You're not bound here. And he would go with you. And I should never see him again, unquote. 
So Jenny thought if Claire knew about Larry, she just might leave. And she almost did, kind of, but then Summer and I kind of checked that. Claire came back. And now Jenny understands that he is bound to her. Claire promises to take care of Jamie, even if they do go. Then young Ian comes in and tells them that Homak is there. And he's brought a lawyer. They go and meet Homak. After the introductions, who comes in but Ned Gowan, the lawyer who wouldn't die. I love this meeting. I was like, thank you, Diana. This is such a, I mean, hopefully people, you know, like if they're reading book three, hopefully they'd like books one and two. But I just love that he just keeps popping up everywhere. I just love it. And he's not done yet, people. That's all I'm going to say. He says, quote, they, they, they kind of reconnect and he's like, Mistress Claire or Mistress Fraser. And she's like, Ned Gowan. And they want to chat. But he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, we got to do, quote, business first, my dear. And then if you will, I should be most charmed to hear the, to hear the tale of your adventures. She's like, um, yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> I don't know what I can tell you, dude. <laughs> when they go back into the parlor, Jamie is on the sofa. Now with several small plaits with silk ribbon hairs digging out. <gasps> I love those kiddos. Those young, the young girls had, had uh, braided and his hair and put ribbons in it. It's like straight out of Rapunzel. <laughs> yeah. Tangled. Sorry. Tangled. Ned outlines the situation. Jamie has gotten so himself. Did you notice in- that that was his second, her, Diana's second uh, reference to Wizard of Oz? Oh, the gotta go see a wizard? Coward. No, no, the, um, no, she said a lion. lion. What was the first one? That was in the previous book. Oh, I thought you meant like in this chapter. No, I just mean in the, in the book series. Yeah, I did notice the cowardly lion. That was very sweet. I remember we were all talking about the time period as to whether or not that was an appropriate reference. Came out for in 39. Her t- for her time period. Yeah, no, it did. We yeah. looked it up. So Jamie has gotten himself into a bit of legal difficulty. He says, Ned says, Claire could bring suit against him for adultery and criminal fornication. And he looks at Claire and looks back at Ned and says, quote, I think I'm not so worried by that possibility. (laughs) What else? Unquote. So with regard to Leary, Jamie could be charged with bigamous misconduct, intend to defraud, felonious misrepresentation, dot, dot, dot. But what does Leary actually want? Well, she literally wants him castrated and disemboweled and his head mounted on a stake, but that is not going to happen. But she definitely does not want him back as a husband. So that's actually one, thankfully, one good thing. Lisa T. writes, Leary is unnecessarily vengeful. Looking forward to Nell's performance as Leary. She does a great job making her the character you love to hate. Martina P. writes, what a pleasure to meet Ned Gowan again. He is representing Leary. I refuse to call her Mrs. James Fraser. <laughs> don't, ever say, don't ever say that again, anyone. And able to help to get Jamie out of his legal difficulties. Nobody makes the legal complications sound so humorous as Ned Gowan. So the crux of it is Jamie is willing to pay and keep taking care of her, Leary, and the girls. But only until she's remarried. Lisa T. writes, I found this a fascinating contrast to Claire's discussion at the Abbey in Outlander. There, the issue of having two spouses was a spiritual one and did not present a problem. Claire was absolved. Jamie is not. 
Now we get down to the settlement, which is the catalyst for the rest of the story. The settlement goes like this. Jamie is to pay Leary 500 pounds in compensation for distress, etc., and also maintain her household at the rate of 100 pounds per year until she is remarried. He'll provide a bride portion for each girl, 300 pounds each, and won't pursue prosecution of her for assault with intent to commit murder. <laughs> there is that little thing, too. Right. Martina P. writes, I love how Jenny steps in and insists that payments will discontinue as soon as she finds another husband. I am sure Jenny, the matchmaker, will be able to be of great assistance. Considering that Leary committed assault with intention to murder, she's at the better end of the bargain. Jamie has to come up with a lot of money. Yeah, I I was kind of incensed, 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 incensed. Uh, <laughs> that Jenny was the one who thought of that. What the hell are they paying Ned for? They're not paying Ned. Ned's representing I know, but he's the other professional. Dude. He's the professional. He should have known that and should have thought of that himself. Well, I, he's not. He's there to be fair, but not to help out. You know what I mean? He's there to help out Homak and Leary, not. Did you just say Homak? That's like the third time I said it. Why haven't I noticed it before? Because I don't know. I was waiting for you to say something. I was like, <laughs> Homak? Yes, Homak. Eileen P. writes, You know how you should always bring a Murta? Well, I think you should always bring a Ned, a Ned Gowan. Jamie should put the, quote, wicked old rascal on retainer. While I think Jamie was overly generous compensating Larry, at least this is over and done. So they go to eat together, and who brings in the meat but a Mary McNabb? Oh my God, so awkward. So awkward. Her gaze lingered on him a moment too long. And this is Claire that is noticing this. Hmm. Eileen P. writes, Ah, Mary McNabb is still there. Her gaze lingering, lingering on Jamie. It seems like she still remembers having sex with Jamie 13 years ago. Well, well, who wouldn't? Lisa T. writes, So no sooner is the business with Leary settled, but we get a reminder of Mary McNabb in the cave. Just a wee reminder that Jamie still has some secrets from Claire. And you know what? We're You and I have read book eight. I don't know that Mary McNabb's secret ever came out. I don't think it did. But it did. that it's experiences and awkward encounters like that that remind you why you should never poop or you Sleep eat. with someone. Oh, that, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Oh, what, sleep sleep with someone in front of the cave? Yeah, that too, gender. Oh, just somebody that close to home. No, That's like, yeah, not employed by your family. No. Martina P. writes, Claire tells us that Mary McNabb was looking at Jamie a little bit too long, and we get nothing else on the matter. It must be intended as a reminder to the reader that this is yet another piece of Jamie's past that he has not shared with Claire. I do wonder how Jamie was behaving toward Mary when he came back. After all, they shared the most intimate moment humanly possible. I mean, it wasn't just sex. It, it was sex, but it wasn't just sex. It was intimate in a way that she was giving him a gift and he was taking it willingly from her. So I can see there was intimacy there, but I don't think it was this, as intimate or the closest he's ever been with another person person i think that was with it might have been the closest because it was in a cave but other oh, than I that mean, girl not physically <laughs> not literally like i can't move you're so, so small in here i can't move so they need to get leary married at once but they're wondering where jamie will get all the money to handle this ian looks at jenny and jamie quote there's only one place isn't there unquote and i wrote oh <gasps> 
Oh my god, adventure calls. So how do you speaking? write that with that voice? I I don't write that with the voice. Well, I, how do you accent that to know that that's how you're supposed to say it? I didn't know. It just happened. A lot of caps. That's no though. fun. You need to come up with a new way. A font with voice instructions. <laughs> yeah. How do you font that? That was that was like a Muppet thing. Well, then how do They're you font speaking? your Muppet sounds? You mean how do I Muppet fonts? Muppet font. Muppet font. Muppet sound fonts. Yes. <laughs> that is exactly are, what I mean. They are speaking of the jewels and the money in the treasure chest on the third island, of course. But Jamie wants to take young Ian. Not just because he's a good swimmer. I mean, obviously that helps. But Jamie can't swim really well or at all due to his arm. Claire's a little confused. And he tells her it's the treasure that he told her about. The seal's gold. After he'd hidden it, we learn, he'd crafted a letter to Jenny and Ian, heavily encoded. He said that they didn't think the money would be badly spent on helping Lallybrach to survive. So Ian had taken young Jamie to the island. They'd gone together. Young Jamie had swum to the island, taken two gold coins and three small gems and put the box back. Three times since, they had gone back to make use of the treasure. Only Jenny, Ian, and their two older boys knew about the treasure and its location. Jenny still says that young Ian cannot go. They'd have to leave Scotland and go to France and stay away for a bit. They couldn't stay with Leary. Couldn't stay there with Leary in the area. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Leary won't let them stay with her. (laughs) No, I mean, they couldn't stay there at Lallybrach with Leary so close. Not with the settlement, not with things ending right then the way it is. And he says that Jared's offered more than once to take him into his firm. Maybe they'll go to France. They finally, finally get permission to take young Ian. Jenny says, quote, I suppose it's best we give him his freedom while he still thinks it's ours to give. Unquote. That's kind of ironic, seeing as what happens in the next chapter and then the rest of the book. Giving him his freedom, mm, it kind of happened to be the opposite. Well, no, no, no. They gave him his freedom. What he did with it was his own business once he but got he it. Did it. He didn't do it. Someone else took him and took his freedom away from him. That's what I'm saying. To be given your freedom, only to have it taken away. That's why I'm saying. Lisa T. And he did not take his own freedom away. Lisa T. writes... This rite of passage brings to mind another rite of passage for the Murray sons, that of going to the brothel with Fergus. Uh-uh. <laughs> Young Ian has done that, too, so it truly is his turn to swim for the treasure, as opposed to swimming for the pleasure. No. Yes. Or is it, yes! <laughs> I don't know, how'd you spell it? All caps. <laughs> oh gosh lordy again exiled to france just when claire thought she was home she is starting a new voyage and martina p writes it seems we have old ian muddy back he is very supportive and is in favor of young ian going along and swimming to the island where the treasure is hidden and that was chapter 38 join us next time when we discuss chapter 39 entitled lost And by the wind grieved. Thank you as always so much for listening. We look forward to our next episode. Thank you to our generous partner, Zencaster, who offers high fidelity podcasting. Check out Zencaster and use coupon code OUTLANDER20, OUTLANDER20, for 20% off three months or 20% off for a year. Connect with us. 
visit our website at outlanderpod.com. Find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash outlanderpod. We'd love for you to join our Facebook community at outlanderpod.com slash group. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at outlanderpod. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. 